Well, as we begin today, I want to invite my friend Mark Wurzel uh, to come up and join me on stage. In our series about how awesome God is, we're walking through various attributes of God, and one of the things that Mark, I think, uh, you probably wouldn't say this of yourself, but I'll say it to you, that I think you really represent um, something important that we can learn from uh, in the business that you do and the life you maintain. Um, today, we're in a, in a minute here, we're going to talk about the excellence of God. And uh, as I see you at work, uh, particularly in the marketplace, uh, you might know Mark as a friend or a deacon, but he also might be your furnace repair guy. And uh, I, I just have seen a lot of excellence out of you and your team there and the way you present yourself, and I know that there's a heart behind that. That's not an accident. That's very intentional. And I thought it might benefit all of us just to hear a little bit from you about why that's an important value to you. And uh, so maybe you could start by just introducing to everybody what it is that you do, what your business is, and then uh, we can talk a little bit about how you kind of bring the idea of excellence uh, to the table in your work. Um, I have a heating cooling business, and uh, um we started it probably 34 years ago, 33, 34 years ago, and um, I started as an installer just starting in, and a short time after that, we bought into the business and bought the business, um, and the Lord has been part of that story, or all of that story, um, ever since, and, uh, you know, when when we started the business and, and our our philosophy, our, our idea was is that was, it wasn't our business. It's his business. And I was the manager for the business. And, and so um, over time, that's knowing that he owns it. I want to do a good job for him. I want to do excellence for him. I want my guys to do excellence for him. I want people to know by what they see that it's his business and not my business. And so that's... yeah. I think it's probably a familiar experience. I know I've had this. You know, once in a while, you'll realize if you've got a, like a Christian bumper sticker on your car, you think, now I can't cut people off anymore. Like, I actually have to be nice because they know I'm a Christian. Like, you're, you're going ahead and declaring to your employees and to the world around you, like, this is a business that God is the owner and we're doing this for him. And so that, that means that there's now an up level of accountability uh, right. that you're feeling. So how do you instill that to your, like, how, I mean, that, that lives in your heart. Um, how, do you, how do you help your guys that are out installing kind of live that way or learn that principle of excellence? For one, we explain it to them. But I think, I think they've heard that before. And um, so I think a, a lot of our guys um, have learned it by seeing it more than they have by hearing it. And so um, we try to, I, I try to tell each new guy that, you know, to, for, number one, right off the bat, this is, the Lord's business is not my business, and um, and that He sees everything that we do, and we're trying to represent Him in how we do it. And so, I try. And trust me, there are many, many, many times I fail at this. And thankfully, for the grace of God, He picks me back up and dusts me off and pushes me on my way again. And uh, and so, but at the same time, you know, I always tell my guys, I don't want you ever to. I don't want you ever not to do an excellent job um, because it's going to cost too much or it's going to take too much time or, or whatever. I want, I, I want them to do a good job, and I want them to represent the Lord in this because he sees it all. And I want people to understand that we're doing our, that our business is a Christian business and, and that they see that. 
so many times that's a label that's put on so many different things, but it doesn't seem to represent that when yeah. they see it done. So That's a challenge, really, that extends to all of us in our work and our school. You think about if you, if you recognize you're not working for yourself, you're actually working for the Lord, if you commit your life that way, that really does change a lot. I mean, that changes just the way that you'd wake up in the morning, the way that you'd get ready, the way that you'd uh, face the day, the attitude you have, just every aspect of things changes when you start with this premise that this isn't all about me. This is actually like I'm in God's business, whatever the business is. And uh, so I see that as a, just a huge challenge for all of us uh, wherever we sit in life. Um, if you were kind of our coach or our, if, you, if we were all being employed by your company and this was sort of like an excellence orientation and you wanted to get all of us going in the right way, like to start getting this right mentality in our heart, how would you encourage us to start? You know, I think the number one thing is, is, is your love for Christ. I mean, um, for me, that's changed everything. 20 years ago, I used to think of the concept of loving God more than anything, even my wife. And I thought that was impossible. I thought, how could I ever do that? But over the years, the more I put Christ in my life and everything I do, and the more I have communication with him, the more I can see how that happens. And it has happened. I love the Lord more than my wife. And so... Hopefully that then changes everything that you do. You know, you want to, you want to, I know I want to stand someday before the Lord and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And so that pretty much should change everything in how we do things. How we, how we purchase things, how we decide to do something, how we, Everything. Because our life is here is so short, and we we're put on this earth not for ourselves, but everything for Him, and so that should change everything, how we do things and how we see things. So, number one is is getting to know Him, and when you really get to know Him, that'll change everything. Wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us and given us a little bit of your, your heartbeat in that. Why don't we pray, and uh, then we're going to open the scriptures together and learn uh, what the Bible says about the excellence of the God that we serve. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us opportunities in our lives to demonstrate how much we love you by the way that we live, and I pray that all of us could follow Mark's great example there. Um, and as he said, he's had plenty of failures and he's not perfect, but Lord, we, we want to cultivate the same heart he has, that whatever he's doing, he's doing it for you. And so whether we're in school or at work or at home, um, whatever aspect of our lives um, we're engaged in at any one time, Lord, I pray that our focus would be toward you and not toward ourselves. And uh, today as we open up the Bible and as we learn about your excellence and how in every regard you um, are perfect and glorious, uh, I pray that that would be a life-changing encounter for us, not just to be inspired by something we see far away, but understand that this is a quality that you uh, wish to see us cultivate in our lives as we reflect you and your glory to the world around us. 
So we pray that you'd bless the rest of our service together as we study, as we consider, uh, and Lord, that you would teach us uh, what you want us to know, uh, each of us individually, so that we could walk out of here and bring honor to you by the way that we live. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, well, here we are in the middle of our series on various qualities that we see in God, uh, things that are a lot bigger than what our minds can conceive, but we're, we're going to try, and we're going to look at what the Scripture tells us about things like infinity and eminence. That's what we did last time. Uh, today we're in excellence, and, and when I think about a definition of excellence, what that really looks like, here's what I see. It's the quality of being outstanding and extremely good, completely right, perfectly in order. And so there are a lot of things that you and I might encounter where we would say, hey, that's excellent. Or we can spot, you know, whatever the opposite of excellence is as well. When something's not quite put together, when it's not outstanding, we notice that. Uh, One area that I think I see this really clearly portrayed is in hotel rooms. Okay, some of you have been in excellent, wonderful hotel rooms. And some of you might have had experiences where you would say, yeah, that wasn't exactly five-star that was more like one star, or will it let me give a half star or a negative star, because that was a negative experience. Um, I had one of those, I remember it was really late one night, um, and we were trying, you know, it was kind of one of those nights where the kids are all tired, we're all packed into the van, we're just trying to find a place to stay, and there were, we, we'd driven a long time, we finally found a place that supposedly had vacancy, and it was like the right brand, it was going to match our reward points, we were all excited about it. I go in, I check in, it's like, yeah, there's another room left, you can have it. I go in ahead of my family, and my son Noah was with me. You probably remember this, Noah. And uh, we walked into this room and immediately smelled kind of an overwhelming mold smell. Oh, you know. <laughs> my wife's very allergic to mold. So, like, as soon as I walked in, I was thinking, like, man, I'm just so desperate just to lay down and fall asleep. But uh, I don't think this is going to work. So then Noah moved some little piece of furniture, and this creature ran across the floor I don't actually know what it was. Noah said, Dad, it's a hundred-legger. <laughs> and it was, it was something really ugly and really big. Um, I still don't know what it was. But uh, when that happened, I just thought, oh, I just can't do this. You know, like, like I've got standards. Like, it has to be two stars. <laughs> like, I don't have to be five-star. But, like, if it's going to be one star, I'd rather just sleep in my car. And, you know... So I went back to the desk and got a refund, and we had to drive further down the road, and we, you know, we found something that was still not awesome, but it was okay. You know, we, we hit that minimum of two stars or something. Thing, you know, and then there have been other times in my life when I'll be very surprised, like somebody will book a hotel for me when I'm traveling, and I'll just walk in, and it's, you know, it's like one of those kind of places where you're like, wow, not only is everything great, but it's like better. Like there's stuff in that room I, didn't, I wouldn't have even thought that I needed, but now I've got it. You know, this is, this is excellent. And, uh, and so we're used to rating things based on their excellence, based on how well they meet our needs or how well put together things are. Uh, we use a, very, a variety of synonyms for the concept of excellence as well, all right? So here's a few of those that you've probably said that something is, or someone is admirable or grand or impressive or magnificent, expansive, majestic, stately, perfect, complete, quality, wonderful. You say, yeah, that's the kind of hotel I want to stay at. Well, here's good news. I can't guarantee future hotel stays for you, but the God that we are talking about today the God that we're studying, is the supreme version of excellence. And every one of those adjectives would apply directly to him in its highest form. 
And so whatever it is on earth that you look at and go, wow, that's amazing, or that's majestic, or that's wonderful, is just a shadow of the excellence we find in God. So here's a theological definition for when we say God is excellent, here's what we're saying. Uh, To say that God is excellent is to say that he possesses the fullness of every quality that is desirable for him. So there's nothing God needs to learn about, like, you know, if only God could just be a little more loving, you know, then he would finally arrive at excellence. No, he's already there. Um, Or, wow, you know, God is, he's very holy, but like he really needs to grow in holiness. No, we would never say that because he already is, he, he possesses the fullness of all these desirable qualities already. So we would say he's excellent with a capital E. He's not working on excellence. He's not striving for excellence or motivated toward excellence. He already is. He's the very definition of excellence. So if you or I were saying like, I want to become a more excellent person or a more excellent worker, we, we could look up to God as our example, as the, as the final arbiter of what is excellent. Uh, that's what we see when we encounter the character of God. And in every attribute that you could name, uh, that, that would relate to how God operates or, or how he functions with people, how he loves people, uh, all of those things we would have to rate as excellent. All right, so turn with me to Psalm 145. It's one of my favorite psalms because in a way, in just a few verses, it shows us a broad picture of all the aspects of God's character and why He is worthy of our praise, why he's so excellent. So Psalm 145 David wrote this. He said, I will exalt you, my God and King, and praise your name forever and ever. You might say, why? Why is God worth that much praise? Why would we exalt him and it's not something else? Well, he answers the question, verse 2. I will praise you every day. Yes, I will praise you forever. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness a few weeks ago, we talked about how no one can measure like, his spatial dimension, like he's bigger than anything we can imagine. Well, here we find out he's greater than anything we can imagine. He is the very definition of greatness. Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. I will meditate on your majestic, glorious splendor and your wonderful miracles Your awe-inspiring deeds will be on every tongue, and I will proclaim your greatness. When we encounter, like when you and I encounter something that's really great, that's really excellent, what do we do? Like just sort of automatically we start talking about it. Like, oh, well, you've got to try this great food, or you've got to try this amazing new truck, or this great hotel with such an amazing stay. Well, here we're encountering something that's orders of magnitude greater than anything in this world when we encounter God. So if you were doing a kind of a star rating for God, and you could look at different aspects of who God is, his character, and you say, well, how many stars does God get um, if we're rating his level of excellence? Well, his power is maximum, his wisdom. You go through all these different things, and as we see in this psalm, it's kind of like he's going through one attribute after another and saying, God is worthy of our praise. Like, if God sent you an email and said, how am I doing? You'd be hitting the five stars on every single one of these things. Now, that doesn't mean you always feel that. Right? Some people look at that list and say, I question if God loves me or if God is really being patient with me or God isn't, you know, he doesn't feel like a good father to me. But that's not a lack on God's part of the, of the actual reality being there. That's a lack on our part of our perspective, of our seeking of God, of getting to know God so that we understand how excellent 
how amazing he really is. Okay, so go on in the text down to verse 7. He says, everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness. They will sing about the joy of your righteousness. The Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. The Lord is good to everyone. He showers compassion on all his creation. All of your works will thank you, Lord. Your faithful followers will praise you. They will speak of the glory of your kingdom and give examples of your power. They will tell of your mighty deeds and about the majesty and glory of your reign. For your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and you rule throughout all generations. The Lord always keeps his promises. He is gracious in all that he does. The Lord helps the fallen. He lifts those bent beneath their loads. The eyes of all look to you in hope. You give them their food as they need it. When you open your hand, you satisfy the hunger and thirst of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in everything he does. He is filled with kindness. The Lord is close to all who call on him. Yes, to all who call on him in truth. He grants the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cries and he helps and rescues them. The Lord protects all those who love him, but he destroys the wicked. I will praise the Lord and may everyone on earth bless his holy name forever and ever. Do you notice all, these, all, the, all the way that the, the, the psalmist is sort of describing these attributes? He's saying everything about God is righteous. He's filled with kindness. These are all sort of maximum words because there isn't, there isn't a way for God to get better at doing any of these things. He's already excellent. So you could keep rating, like there'd be more star categories of works and words and purity and protection and justice. And the more you get to know God, the more you realize in every category... God earns five stars, and nothing else in creation does. You could meet the nicest person, the kindest person, the, you know, the most holy person on earth. They don't get five stars. They're, they're not arrived, but here God is the maximum. He is the fullness of all these desirable attributes. You say, well, Dan, what does this mean for us if that's true? If we believe God is excellent as the Bible teaches us? Well, here's, here's a few things, all right? The first one. God's excellence means that there is nothing God could do to become better, more beautiful, or more complete. So it's not like God is sort of looking at the next year and going, all right, in 2019, like, here's my leadership development plan. Here's, my, here's how I'm going to become a better God this year. No, he doesn't need to do that because in every respect, he's already complete. He's already, he already has the maximum. And, and so therefore, for us, it means it's a joy to get to know God. Uh, that, because we're, we recognize the highest thing we could pursue, the, the greatest thought, as we've talked about before, the greatest thought we can even think is of God. And so we look to him in all of his excellence and majesty, and, and we say, Lord, I want to get to know you. Like, there's nothing better. There, there's, there's nothing that will ever be better than getting to know you for who you are. Here's a second thing, related. He doesn't need any self-improvement goals. He doesn't need any coaching from you or me. A few different times in the Bible, the, the someone will ask, like, who has ever been the counselor for the Lord, or, or who is really going to tell God what's best? And the, the rhetorical answer, obviously, no. Uh, no one has the perspective and the purpose that God does. No one sees the big picture the way God does. And so all of us, then, if we believe this, if we say, yeah, God isn't, he's not like learning how to do a better job, it means I can fully, 100% trust his wisdom right now And it's going to be the same wisdom he would give me a thousand years from now. Like he knows the best road. And so I can have confidence that I should trust him instead of trusting me. 
And so when I look at my situation and I think, you know, God, I kind of disagree with you here. I think things should go this way. Or I look at the moral principles in the Bible and think, well, I know it says this, that here's a moral principle, but I really think I want to do it my way. Like, God, you don't don't know how cultures change or whatever. We don't have to worry about God changing his character in that regard. God already knows the best path. And so we can relax, we can trust him instead of trying to figure it out for ourselves. And that kind of leads us to the third thing that God's excellence means. That his moral character isn't a moving or growing target. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So you can follow God with confidence. Um, it's not like God is going to come to you, uh, you know, a few years down the line and say, you know what, I just learned this amazing new principle that I think you should apply to your life now. Like, hey, we've got to try this. No, God doesn't operate. That's how you and I would operate. Because we don't have all knowledge, we don't have infinite capabilities, but... Here God is already, he's already arrived. He already has the wisdom. And so we can step forward with confidence as we follow him. In Second Peter, there's one mention of the word excellence. And it's interesting, it doesn't appear very often in the Bible. Second uh, Peter is one of the only places where the, the Greek word for excellence is used. And one of the reasons for that is in that culture, excellence, the way they would apply it, had more to do with sort of human capability or, you know, p- people working themselves up to a better place or something. And it didn't really have a divine connotation. So you go back to the Hebrew and say, well, how did they express this principle if they didn't have the word excellence back in the day? And what we find is that they would use terms like all-surpassing glory. Um, There's still these maximum terms that help us understand that whatever goodness or power or glory exists on earth, God so far surpasses that as, as really to go beyond our, our comprehension. And so we look throughout the scripture and we say, as, as God is represented as this surpassingly glorious and perfect being, excellent in every way, um, what can we learn from him? What does that mean for us? Uh, when Peter brings it up, he uses it in the context of saying that you know, God is going to give us his grace so that we can get to know him. His power is at work in our lives so that we can actually be transformed, so that we can escape all the corruption in the world around us. And, and Peter says that there are great and precious promises available to us that change our lives, available because of God's excellence, because of God's powerful majesty. And so we look at this and we say, all right, if I look up to God and I start to see who he really is, that's not just an exercise in being inspired by something a lot bigger than me. That's actually a transformational exercise. You can't see the excellence of God and not have that change you. It changes everything. And so Peter says, God's power is available to transform you, to change you, and it's because God is so excellent, because he's so great, because he surpasses all other categories, that it's such a transformational experience when you meet him. So Peter talks about coming to know him, and that really, we would say, is the goal of our lives. Uh, When we come to know God, when we seek God, it changes us, it transforms us. And it's not like we seek God and then it's over, like we found him and now we move on to the next thing. God is the infinite thing to seek. So we keep seeking our whole lives and on into eternity, we keep getting to know God in all of his excellence. So I want to leave you with a challenge today. Um, from From the Psalms, there was a moment when the author kind of set aside all of his, all the other things he was worried about or complaining about or dealing with in his life. 
And he said, there is one thing I really want. One thing that's just deep in my heart. And if I just had this, everything else would make sense. He says, this one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek the most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. So like of all the things you could delight in, of all the things that could capture your attention, of all the things you could spend your week thinking about, here the psalmist says, there's one above all of it. I just want to sit down and be able to delight in the perfections of God to be able to sit close to him at the temple and just meditate on who he is. I just want to seek him and get to know him. It could be that in the last week of your life, there have been a variety of lesser pursuits that have captured your attention. Things that you've been thinking about, things you're worried about, things you've been entertained by, things that just sort of fill up the space in your mind that are a lot less than God that are a lot less excellent, a lot less praiseworthy. But because of the nature of our fast-paced lives or whatever you might have on your plate this week, you've, you've sort of set all this aside and thought, well, maybe I'll get to that someday when I have more time, but right now I have these pressing little things all around me. And I just want to encourage you, you don't have to wait until heaven for this verse to be your story. Uh, you could start right now. Say, Lord, even though there are a lot of lesser things that could capture my attention next week, I don't want to let that be, I don't want to let my life go by and miss the most excellent thing, the most amazing thing, the thing I was created to know and be a part of. Uh, And so, Lord, I want to seek you this week and know you for who you really are, to seek God in his excellence. So let's ask God for his help to focus in uh, and like the psalmist, maybe if this is in your heart where you say, you know, I don't, I've never really been there before. I've never, I don't even, this is a new thought to me. Today could be the beginning where you pray and say, Lord, I really want to see you for who you really are. And as I see you, Lord, I, I, want, I want to be transformed by that experience as I recognize your amazing excellence. All right, let's pray and ask God for that together. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for being who you are, and that in every respect, every desirable quality, you represent it, you live it, uh, you're not going to change from it, and that, there, that everything that you do and say we can depend on and we, we can bank on. Lord, this week, I pray that we would seek you with our hearts, that, that our belief about you wouldn't just live on Sunday morning or in the songs that we sing or in the things that we say we believe, um, but Lord, that this would, this would make it into who we actually are in our souls, that we would delight in you, that we would seek you with a passion, and Lord, that in every way, as your excellence is made known to us, that we could reflect your glory and excellence in the lives that we live. Lord, if there was one thing we could ask, We, like the psalmist, would just say, Lord, we want to seek you. We want to know you. We want to be filled with your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, God bless you. We'll see you next week.